Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. We are late again, uh, and I can't actually remember the reasons why this time, but we're here now, and that's all that matters. Welcome back to the WTF1 podcast with myself, Harry Benjamin, and Callan O'Keefe. And Callan, uh, it's Singapore this weekend, first of the flyaways, uh, and we're really in the home stretch now towards the end of the year, and everyone seems to love Singapore. First ever night race on the Formula One calendar, uh, and it's undergone a few changes this year. Yeah, so I, I think Singapore is a fan favorite. Obviously, when you see the cars under the lights, like what a spectacle it is. It's a great driving challenge as well. And it's one of those races where I think we can see a little bit of carnage. If anyone remembers the race last year, it was a, a thoroughly entertaining race. And also one of the ones where Max Verstappen didn't do a good job. So who knows? We could be set for something uh, out of the ordinary or what we're used to this season. And I think the um, the the changes to the track just first of all, like to say we're losing a piece of history. Obviously, the scene of Crashgate all those years ago in 2008. So um, what, a, what a year to choose to do it when Felipe Massa's, you know, trying to issue legal proceedings. Oh, Coincidence? No. I think not. I think I'm... not. Let's flaunt that conspiracy theory out there. Um, but yeah, I, I think the change to the track will actually be good. That, that little section, I think they had the idea of overtaking in mind, but nothing really happened because when you went underneath the tunnel to, to kind of end that sequence, it was just too tight and cars would end up in the barrier. So hopefully... Adding a slightly longer straight will make it again a bit easier to follow and hopefully we should see a little bit more overtaking action. Yeah, especially with the modern day generation of cars as well. There's no way they're going to be able to go side by side through uh, under under the grandstand bit there. It just would not happen at all. One would end up in the wall. Um, but mm-hmm. that's, that's essentially what's happened. So it's now going to be like a sort of straight which then rejoins round the penultimate corner and then back onto the main straight. So most of the drivers seem quite up for that. I'm, I'm quite interested. Hopefully it should be more fun. It does mean we get one extra lap than normal and the race should be theoretically shorter because normally this is like the longest race on the calendar, even without a, like a red flag intervention or whatever. It, there has been a safety car at every single Singapore Grand Prix. So let's see and wait what happens this weekend. But I'm looking forward to it. Could though, or I suppose do you think this straight or this new straight that's been added in kind of swings the pendulum back to Red Bull even more because there was a bit of talk about how this could be maybe a a bit of a non-Red Bull track. You go back to Monaco, you know, another street circuit. It's probably a bit narrower, a bit twistier, yeah. But, you know, Alonso and Aston Martin were alive there, weren't they? And because it's there's less straights, um, the field is more, it's closer together. So there was, I think there's there's hope this weekend that, maybe something similar might happen isn't like doesn't there isn't there quite a lot of straights in singapore compared to monaco i mean yeah, well yeah there's like there well there was the one big long main straight <laughs> and there, previously there wasn't this other one but that's why yeah. i'm saying it now seems inevitable that red bull will just be once again dominant 
I mean, and, and you know, let's not forget that Max Verstappen, when he's on fire and he needs to pull it out of the bag, yeah. one of the tightest, twistiest sections in Formula One, the last sector in Monaco, he produced possibly what is, you know, the best sectors of any qualifying lap ever in the history of Formula One to take back two and a half tenths, I think it was on Fernando Alonso. So I think the car's capable of doing it. You know, if I believe what I'm hearing about how under the limit they actually are, then if they, you know, do face any challenge, they should be able to... Uh, to just pull that last little bit out of the bag that they're kind of saving for reliability. And and I just like to see it be a bit more of a challenge. I'd like to see them be stretched. I'm not, you know, it's 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 the hope that sets you up for disappointment. I'm not hoping for something crazy, but it's not a track that's traditionally been kind to Verstappen. I don't think it really suits his style, but this was the Max Verstappen of, of old before who we saw making mistakes, especially at three circuits. Now he's at the top of his game. We'll have to see what um, what answers everyone, other teams and other drivers can give him this weekend to try and give him a bit more of a challenge. Yeah, it is a track he has never won at, never yeah. even been on pole for. So, and I, I spent last night because I'm such a nerd. I literally watched every single highlights of the Singapore Grand Prix since it began. So back from 2008. And I'll tell you what, this pretty much all of them are pretty decent races. There's always yeah. something interesting going on. I mean, you go back to 2017, I think it was, where it was a wet start and that was when Raikkonen and Vettel and Verstappen oh, came together. The PTSD, in- I can't deal with it. I can't exactly, deal with it. Before they even came into turn one and then you had like Carlos Sainz at a Toro Rosso who managed to uh, get up uh, and finish like uh, in the top six, I think. And then Verstappen, I think that same year, stalled on the line and then managed to get back into the points ahead of science. And it was just such a such an interesting race. So I, I'm pretty hopeful, no matter what, even if it is Red Bull. Of course, Perez won here last year, street track king. Um, he could use the confidence boost, I'm sure. So uh, let's wait and see uh, how that pans out. But one of the other, I suppose, more technical things coming into this weekend uh, is the FIA have announced uh, a new technical directive. And this is all about... Fleck, mainly about the flexi wings on, on the rear of the cars that are shaking perhaps a little bit too much when they're out racing. I've read the FIA document. It's quite convoluted and complicated. Can you explain it, Callan, in, to a layman? Basically, the FIA, at, at high speed, you obviously want to reduce drag. The higher the angle of the aerodynamic components, the more downforce you create, but also the more drag. And Formula One teams are constantly fighting drag, which is, you know, the ability to corner fast, effectively downforce versus straight line speed, which is less drag. And F1 teams are very smart. They're very, very clever people. And they basically have come up with a way to add high load because everything gets stress tested. They have to be stress tested for safety. At high load, high speed, parts can flex a little bit to reduce drag, your front wings, your rear wings, effectively reduce the angle reduce the amount of drag, higher top speed, but then when they break, the part comes back up again to give them that downforce that they're looking for. And the FIA kind of, there was there was a bit of chat about this, I think it was about a year ago, maybe a bit longer. The FIA have then realized that actually the, the kind of structure, the regulation they put in place doesn't work because teams just found a way around that. So they've kind of realized, ah, you're smarter than we are, the FIA, that is. The teams are smarter than we are. We need to be more strict with the way that we test. And that's effectively what this technical directive is. They're going to be more strict with the way that they measure their... I'll read out. I've actually got in front of me here. Oh, um, go on. Yeah, I, I quite like it. It sounds very professional. All aerodynamic components or bodywork influencing the car's aerodynamic performance must be rigid, rigidly secured and immobile with respect to their frame of reference. So basically what they're saying is they're going to take a, a, a much 
bigger point of reference effectively. And it's going to be a much smaller window that the parts are allowed to flex. So F1 teams, they're still going to find a way around this for sure. They're just far too intelligent and it's too much of a gain as well. Um, but it's nice to see the FIA again challenging the Formula One teams and saying, look, we know that you're going to try and find a way around us. Let's just increase the difficulty level slightly and see what you can come up with, basically. Yeah, I think it's not the first time they've introduced something like this. So, uh, And the engineers, they're very clever. They will try and get as close to uh, the rules or find a loophole as they can. So the FIA are clamping down on that. But well explained, Callan, uh, president of the FIA. Uh, unofficially um, interim interim, interim, the interim. FIA. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that sort of sets the scene a little bit about what's going on in the background for this weekend um also uh some driver news in terms of daniel ricardo still no daniel ricardo uh, and apparently that metacarpal bone broken in seven places and that's a small bone as well in your hand seven places mad but he is going to be at the track, uh, but for engineering purposes only. So I presume he just needs to sort of embed back with the team ahead of um, hopefully maybe Japan. But I think that's I think it's probably going to be Qatar, but it's still very up in the air. What that does mean is Liam Lawson gets another go, Callan, um, which I think everyone's quite happy to see after a great uh, race last time out. Just missed out on the points in Monza. But this is a track that is difficult for any driver, let alone a rookie. Yeah, but the way he jumped in at Zandford, he's kind of, and the, again, the progress that he showed in Monza, it's kind of filling me with hope. I mean, there was, I can't remember who it was on because it was, it was quite a long time ago, but, um, I was scrolling through, um, through Twitter or whatever it's called now. I just still have the old icon. And, um, I watched a move that, um, that Lawson pulled on someone into turn one. He pulled a proper dive bomb. I think, I think it was, it was Magnuson. Yeah, it was Magnuson. And it was like, okay, second weekend, he's starting to get comfortable, confident, yeah, comfortable with the car. I, If I was Daniel Ricciardo, I'd be really worried. I, You know, you finally get your chance to come back to Formula 1. You deliver a decent performance. The stacks are kind of loaded against Lawson for the way that you make your, your debut. And you're, he's flourishing. He's doing a great job. And if he goes and continues this learning curve that he's, he's on at the moment, then I think Daniel Ricciardo's in real danger of losing that... Uh, that that spot within the Red Bull family that looked so secure after Hungaroring. I mean, Lawson with that 11th spot, uh, that obviously the car was driven by Dan Ricciardo and mainly so far this year by Nick DeVries. Uh, that's the best <laughs> results that car has got all season long uh, in particular. Uh, obviously, Sonoda scored point, but that actual car, 11th yeah. spot for Lawson, puts him above Ricciardo, above Nick DeVries in the driver's standings, um, which it means nothing because it's 11th place and it's like 20th instead of 24th. But it, it, I just thought that was a little bit significant and something that I think um, will be quite, uh, give him a little spring in his step. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing Lawson uh, this weekend. Um, what else is new? Well, literally just as we came on uh, to record the pod, Alfa Romeo, Sauber, confirm. I mean, Valtteri Bottas was always going to be another year, but Zhou Guan Yu, I think, was a little a little bit uncertain about whether he would continue for another year. That is now confirmed. The Chinese racer gets a third year in Formula One, and it will be quite a significant year because I think Alfa Romeo are going to, well, they're leaving and it's going to go back to Sauber for a couple of years before Audi come in. But also the Chinese Grand Prix is back on the calendar a bit next year. So that's going to be massive for Zhou. Um, what do you make of Zhou being reconfirmed, Count? Do you think that was uh, uh, the right call? I think so. I think he's, you know, he's he hasn't really had a amazing standout performance, but he also hasn't done a bad job. He's 
He's been compared against, you know, I, I rate Bottas. I think especially a relaxed Valtteri Bottas is a very fast one. You know, he's proven to have beaten the best in the world and he's he stacked up fairly well against him. Um, I think, again, you know, he's kind of maturing into this role within the team. It's giving him a chance to grow. And, you know, for the important, obviously, the the broader side of Formula One, it's great to have a the Chinese Grand Prix come back. It's good to have a Chinese driver on the grid. As many Grand Prix as we can have the drivers with the nationality is great for the pop, you know popularity of the sport. And, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see the third year, see if he can settle in a bit more, maybe start to, to beat Bottas a bit more regularly and, and show that he deserves that seat. But haven't really seen anything that warrants him losing the seat, but haven't seen anything warrant him fully keep it. He's always, in my eyes, he's always a little bit anonymous on race weekends. I have to like find him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, it's hard because that Alfa Romeo car this year clearly is not good. Like Bottas stole a point in Monza and that was only his second points finish compared to last year where he he blitzed the first half of the year. But the Joe, that was when Joe was a rookie. So, you know, I think it's difficult to, t- uh, to sort of tell, especially with Bottas's experience. The average gap in terms of pace between Bottas and Joe apparently is just over a tenth and a half of a second which isn't bad, I think, considering no. Bottas is a guy that's beaten Hamilton, you know, in qualifying before. So I don't know how... how that's It's always difficult one to sum that up. But I think Joe's not slow, but I don't think he's amazingly the fastest of the field. I think he's a fairly clean driver. He's had a couple of mistakes recently, um, but it's hard, it's not always his out-and-out fault. You know, look at Zandvoort. Someone was always going to end up going in the wall, weren't they? It just happened to yeah. be Joe and he had no control over that. The other big accidents he, he's had have not been his fault. You go back to Silverstone last year where he was a complete passenger. Um, but then again, he's also had standouts. Like look at qualifying in Hungary this year when we had the, alter- the alternative tyre allocation. Started fifth on the grid and it was all looking so rosy until the car failed him and he basically stalled at the start and then got completely distracted, broke late bashed into the back of um, Ricardo and an Alpine. So I think there is something there for Joe. I think the being the Chinese side really helps him. I, I didn't, didn't see him going anywhere else. I don't think he had many no, other options no. elsewhere. And then who are the other contenders? You know, realistically, Alfa Romeo, Salva, having a look at it, if they were going to look elsewhere, they would have to take a punt on another rookie. I, they were having... Long talks with Felipe Drogovic, the uh, the reigning F2 champion, who apparently has some big backers from Brazil now. Um, but also they've got their own uh, F2 driver in Teo Porcher. Yeah, he would he would have been the one who was really the threat for, for Joe, I think. And I think he's he's done a... Again, it's kind of the, the, the F2 graveyard, isn't it? You go potentially win F2, he's currently in the standings, but where do you go again? Because... I think especially with the way Formula One's going now, drivers, teams, they they need the stability. It's so, so close in the midfield. If you've got any chance of taking home that valuable race where you can score a point, you don't need a rookie who could potentially make a mistake. You need someone with that top-level experience who's been a part of the team, established, can help develop and drive the team forward. And I think that's especially something that Alfa Romeo is probably missing alongside Valtteri Bottas. If they had two drivers, they could, you know, very quickly half the rate of development. And that's exactly what they need really moving forward, isn't it? Yeah, and, and apparently they, they love having Joe. Like apparently he's a really nice guy and he knows all the mechanics names and he's he's very sort of good at um, just being very personable and sociable. So I think that, that does a lot for the team as a whole in terms of pushing them forward when you have a bad race. So I think that goes a long way rather than just being out and out fast. But I mean, I'm, I'm happy to see him get a third year. I think I think he deserves it. Um, I always think, you know, school of France tossed. You've got to show enough in your first two years to warrant a third year. And then after that, then you know you've really got to showcase something good. Um, 
But of course, that does limit options. There now really is only one seat up for grabs on the grids, which is the Williams seat alongside Alex Albon, currently occupied by rookie Logan Sargent, um, who is under pressure. No bones about that. Um, there's there's rumours that Toto Wolf is pushing for my, uh, for Mick Schumacher to be back on the grid, uh, but I know you've got your, you've heard your own little rumour. I mean, it's it's it's, it's paddock. It's the paddock. So there's always rumours, right? Um, <laughs> I, this is what this I is what you it, started and told everybody else. This is yeah. Let's 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 start this one off now. I I would love to see Vesti get a shot. I think he's doing a good job. He obviously I don't know if anyone who follows the F two he um, he had a absolute nightmare at Zanfor where both rear wheels fell off. Um, literally, not metaphorically, literally both wheels fell off and he, it's kind of cost him a little bit in the hunt for the championship, but he's 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 there, he's mature, he's doing a good job. I, I'd like to see him get the shot there. He's obviously got the link because he's a Mercedes junior, which is, you know, we've, we've seen one very other successful Mercedes junior go through the Williams stable and I think it'd be a great personality match alongside Alex. They're very similar, both nice, you know, nice well, kids. And let's not forget kid, but, uh, the, the former head of uh, the Mercedes junior team uh, is now the team principal of Williams in James Vows, who will know Vesti exactly. very well. Exactly. And it, I would love to see Logan continue. I really would. I think it's great to have Logan in Formula One. And actually, he's showing glimmers of pace. The more he's getting more comfortable with the car. But he just needs to stop making those mistakes. He just needs to put together a really solid, you know, three or four solid race weekends. Not the easiest place to do it in Singapore, though. Like, what a what a bit of pressure he's put on himself after the performances in, in Zanford, especially, where I think the car was in a really good window and he had a good opportunity to potentially score some points or be fighting for them. Um, he's going he's gonna to have to pull something out the, the back end of the season. And the tracks we're going to, they're not easy tracks for rookies to go to, that's for sure. No, unfortunately for Sargent and the other, well, particularly Sargent, he's now, the the only other track he would have raced at previously will now be Abu Dhabi, which is the finale, when realistically contracts are done by then. So you need to have shown some some decent pace. But S- Sargent does have the support of James Vowles, publicly at least at the moment, and has uh, the American flag flying for him. So that always is helpful. Um, but yeah, so still that one seat up for grabs. Um, but it is a little bit limited uh, in terms of driver moves for, for next year, at least. But Looking a little bit longer term, I mean, I've I've watched an interview recently, um, Martin Brundle chatting to Sebastian Vettel, who is not ruling out a return. He said, oh, I can't say no, because look at everybody else that, that came back. Alonso, uh, Prost, um, Lauda, uh, you, everyone, Raikkonen, everyone left and came back. And Vettel said, I'm loving life at the moment. But I can't say no to not coming back. Um, but right now, I have no plans. But would you be up for seeing Vettel coming back? I miss Seb so much. He's just <laughs> he, like, what a character the sport he was. Did you see him driving around the Nordschleife? Yeah. Oh. One car, David Coulthard. That was, that, that's one of those moments where they both would have been sat there just surreal to take a proper old school Formula One car around the Nordschleife. And I, if that doesn't like start to ignite the fire a little bit to get him back, I don't know what will. That's the reality, mm. isn't it? Um, I'd love to see him back. I think I, so I grew up in the Sebastian Vettel era where he was, he was the best Formula One driver there was. And he was dominant. It was the dominant era of the sort of early 2010s to the mid 2010s. And I, you know, obviously looked up to Sebastian. I was a part of the Red Bull junior team myself during that period. And he was like the driver we all aspired to be. And to see him leave Formula One the way that he did off the back of 
a, you know, a more troublesome campaign at Ferrari and then Aston Martin. I don't think Seb got the real like champions bow out that he deserved. And I just love to see him come back, win a few more races, get a couple more podiums and just step out of the sporters and, and kind of be remembered by the newer generation as the great that he was. If that makes sense. Well, Audi are coming back or coming in. Uh, it, speaking of Sauber and our Alfa Romeo chat from earlier, they will become Audi in 2026. Um, and n- neither Bottas nor Joe have contracts uh, for when Audi come in. I'm sure they're both hoping that they very much will. But you have to think, you know, would Audi want want a German in their team? Would they want somebody who's got a big profile and can bring, you know, some prestige to the brand? Sebastian Vettel, surely you know, gives him a couple of years out to have fun and, and to, you know, focus on other ventures, get ready to come back in uh, and be with them. To me, that that is a very, very uh, pleasing opportunity. Partnering the fiery Spaniard, Carlos Sainz, fresh oh. off the back of disappointment from beating Charles Leclerc and still not getting the number one spot at Ferrari, straight into the Audi stable alongside Sebastian Vettel, 1-2 in the World Championship. Thank you very much for coming. We'll see you later. Yeah, I, done. We've just Deal written done. history there. Deal done. We've just written history there. Oh, what a story that would be. That, um, how, do I, how do I come back to reality after that? <laughs> well, I don't know if this is reality, but I was listening to the F1, official <laughs> F1 podcast with Nico Hulkenberg this week. And, you know, he was, even he was talking about the Audi move and was calling that, you know, it was a very obviously uh, interesting opportunity. I'm, I'm the only German on the grid at the moment. And Hulkenberg's having a pretty good year at Haas. I mean, he's beating Magnussen, but that's not really saying a lot because the car's rubbish. So, you know, could Hulkenberg, <laughs> I think Hulkenberg would be a reasonable shout for, for an Audi seat. There, this is the thing, isn't it? We always go back to the discussions about, and there's just so many drivers for how many seats there are. Yeah, again, another driver who absolutely dominated in junior formula. He won everything that he was in. And then somehow in Formula One, there's just been a block. He's just, it, it still blows my mind when I think about the fact that Nico Hulkenberg hasn't had a podium in Formula One. I know. I, I can't compute, like, pole position in 2010. 2010. Well, in 2010 in a Force India, wasn't it? Or Williams, sorry. One of the two, I can't remember. Williams, Williams, yeah. Yeah. Williams in Brazil. He's had a pole position, but he still hasn't had a podium in Formula. I can't compute that, especially someone who had the pedigree that he had coming in from from GP2 at the time, which is now F2. It, I, actually, in one of the, I think it might have been, might have been 2017, uh, Singapore, he was in third place for a long time in that race and then had to retire his Renault. Uh, oh no, he wasn't in a Renault then. So that would have been 2018, maybe, or maybe it was Renault 2017. Can't remember. But, it's so um, long ago. <laughs> he was, you know, he's been in podium positions. You know, look at Baku as well a few years ago. Then he crashed out, and the biggest one probably um, at the uh, Hockenheim ring. German Grand Prix 2019. I, oh. Yeah, that, that <laughs> I've seen that back, and I've seen. Hulkenberg spin off, and I've oh. seen the Drive to Survive version of it as well. And you just go. That was it, Nico. That was the podium. And and simultaneously, that went from you could have had a long career. Well, you already had a long career, but you could have had, this could have unlocked a massive new chapter for you. And instead, that race basically signaled the end of his career at that stage. And it's the worst mistake you can make as well. Anyone who's been to Hockenheim knows, especially if it rains, because you have the last two corners and the other side is, is a drag strip where they do drag racing. So it's so slippery. As soon as you dip a wheel offline there, the track is massively cambered away from you when you get past the apex. And as soon as you dip a wheel onto the drag strip with all the rubber, you're just a passenger. And I remember I was I was racing myself at Spa 
And we were all sat in the office, the entire team watching the race because everyone was behind Hulkenberg. We're, everyone's a Hulkenberg fan. He's just he's just such a good guy, isn't it? And at, I, I, we were all sat and we all just watched it happen in slow motion. And there was just this like unanimous groan of realizing what's happened before we even hit the barrier. And I, yeah, uh, this is this is an episode of trauma. Why are we? Why are we even discussing We've gone this? down this route because, well, he's had a redemption arc. Really, he's managed to come back to Formula One at least. But I don't know. I just I throw his hat into the Audi ring. Uh, another another long term sort of rumor move maybe is obviously Sergio Perez and does how you know he's got a contract for next year at Red Bull. I think that will be held and up and yeah. kept up because you know look, Ricardo's not. <laughs> being in Formula 1 right now and they're not going to suddenly promote Lawson or Sonoda into that seat so I'm pretty sure Perez in 2024 is absolutely going to be fine Um, after that though then then what Perez came up with some interesting quotes uh, in the last week you know around and I I am um, not being completely accurate to what he said but uh, he basically said for if I can't feel if I don't feel like I'm adding to the team if I don't feel like I'm helping the team progress and, and adding to their success, then I will look elsewhere. And I thought that was really interesting because because right now, you know, Max Verstappen could be his own constructor and still be winning the championship. What does Perez add to that? Not a lot. So you think, well, actually, yeah, that must be a bit soul-destroying, really, because even if you get a win or a podium, or what does it matter? There are streaks ahead. It's this for you. But as a team, it's like, oh, well, great, nice one, Checo. You know, Max will, Max will be back for the next one. Don't you worry. But when where does Checo go in the future? Does he stick around or does he hang up his helmet? I, I could see a move back to somewhere like Aston Martin, where, of course, he was there in the racing point days. I think, the, again, it all comes down to perception, right? Like, you have to be viewed as a valuable asset to the team. And mm. for as long as he's not taking the challenge to Max Verstappen, obviously everyone acknowledges the fact that Max is just this year in a different league compared to everyone, right? But you still have to be valuable compared to the others that you're fighting against for the seat. And I just, I you know, I think the comments at the start of the year were obviously he went on a bit of a, let's call it a win streak where he had this dream of challenging Max. And then when they came out of the media, the, the Red Bull sort of senior authorities came out and said, oh, he's, he's going to settle down now that he's got this ridiculous dream of being world champion out of his head. That for me as a driver would be a massive alarm bell as to how you're viewed within the paddock, how you're viewed within your own team. I mean, but then how do you bounce back from that? The only way is to go out and and constantly beat everyone else, fight with your teammate. And he's just, Perez is at real risk here of kind of, getting to the end of next year, even if they honor his contract and just have, he, he spent such a long time in Formula One developing this amazing ability as the tire whisperer, the guy who can pull out results in a terrible car. I mean, if you think back to Sauber days when he was consistently at the end of the season, he was finishing in the top five, grabbing a podium here and there in a, in a Sauber. It was kind of showing his real pedigree. He then went to McLaren, struggled at McLaren, went back to the midfield teams and then worked himself back up again to eventually winning in a, in a racing point in that amazing race in Bahrain. And it's clear that Perez has the ability, but it's not coming down to ability. It's coming down to perception of ability because the people who he's now fighting against for that seat, because it will be a, a hugely contested seat, are younger, faster, have a better pedigree. You know, you, you, you have to do something that proves your worth in Formula One. And if people are already talking about the fact that it's not there, it's going to be an uphill struggle if you want to secure a seat somewhere else. So I think we need to see something a little bit fiery from the second half of the season, and especially going to next year where he just keeps building and building and building. And even if he's not challenging Verstappen, he's clear second. If the car's good enough to be P1 and P2, he's always in P2. 
and then mm. can capitalize from the odd mistake that Verstappen will make inevitably because he is a human being. It's so quickly, isn't it? It's so weird how quickly perceptions change because, as you say, when he was in the midfield, Perez was was top dog in a way. You know, he was always the guy that would get the best out of the machine. And then suddenly, you look at him and go, oh, he's under pressure, blah, blah, blah. But actually, he's, he's, he hasn't lost his speed. He's just in a different car. He has to adapt to, to a, you know, a top team operates differently to a midfield team. And he has to adapt to that. It's his 250th uh, Grand Prix this weekend as well. So, I mean, no, no mean feat being in Formula 1 that long. And, but surely as a driver, you're offered, you have your midfield seat where you're probably on a decent pay packet, you're top dog, um, you know, you might steal the occasional podium and your, your reputation will be pretty high. Or you're offered a top dog seat alongside one of the best in the business where you can get some race wins occasionally and maybe be in contention for the championship. But on the other side of that comes incredibly harsh scrutiny. You're, you're taking the top dog seat though, right? Yeah, hundred percent. You have to. Yeah. Otherwise, you know what? What's <laughs> you've spent millions and millions of pounds to get to Formula, tens of millions of pounds probably to get to Formula One, and then you get the opportunity if you don't back yourself to take the top seat. And the the person who I actually kind of it, a, a massive testament to this, and someone who's doing a great job is, is Piastri. Mm. You know, he's the guy had the year out of Formula One, comes in, goes to McLaren against Lando Norris, who is the McLaren golden boy and is now taking the fight to Lando and you know, he's, he's doing an, an amazing job and that's kind of the testament of, of the self-belief that you need because at no point was there ever a chat with him where, well, at least from the outside, it didn't look like it where he thought that it was going to be a struggle against Norris. So he's like, well, if I'm faster, I'll beat him. And he's gone in and he's actually really close to Lando or beating him sometimes now. So in one high, you know, half a season of formula one. So it can be done. It's the kind of self-belief that you need. And I think it, the, the problem is as well, especially when we compare the slightly older drivers on the grid. You know, when we're talking about Sergio Perez in the early 2010s, how different were the cars to the way that they are now? He's oh. been through three or four cycles of regulation change in his F1 career. And there'll be some regulations or some car combinations with regulations that suited your driving style more naturally. And I think sometimes everyone, myself included as well, as, as, a, as a lover of the sport and, you know, I really get involved and get passionate about my opinions of it they you, you can kind of compare the greatness that a driver had in an era and then forget how different it is to drive now and you go well he did it then so why can't he do it now but actually formula one is a completely different landscape to the way it was 13 years ago and it will be different in 13 years time and we'll be having the same chat about you know your your russells and leclerc's and people who have been in it now when they're 10 years down the line so mm. you know they're always learning is my point they're always learning they're always improving they're always facing new challenges and it's kind of comes down to adaptability and let's see how well Sergio can adapt and bring himself back into the, the fight for the second Red Bull seat. Otherwise we might be seeing someone else. And let's remember all of this chat started because Alex Alban got appendicitis last year, a year ago. <laughs> all of this is, is the effect of Alex Alban having appendicitis. So what else is going to come up? Who's going to, yeah, you have no idea what's going to kick off the whole spinning circus. <laughs> um, let's wait and see. Well, right now, are we going to be saying, well, with Daniel Ricciardo's metacarpal bone, that, that's yeah. what set it all off. Um, one, one giant injury a year, which literally. sets off a huge chain in Formula One. <laughs> uh, this is why we love Formula One though, isn't it? Just you actually don't know what's around the corner sometimes. Um, okay. Podium predictions for this weekend. One, two, three. Um, I'll go first. So I'm going to go for, after all that, I'm going to go for a Sergio Perez win. I'm just going to, I'm going to back, back the Mexican. Do Perez it. first. 
I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Carlos Sainz second in the Ferrari. I know. I know. Bear, no, bear with. Bear with me. Okay. Okay. okay and then okay. I'm gonna go Max Verstappen third because I just think something's gonna happen to Verstappen for the first time in a long time during a race where he might get involved in an incident, gets shoved all the way to the back of the field and has a bit of a messy race where he has to keep fighting back through the field and the best he can muster is third. That's what I'm going with. So I, just to keep it myself like interested. So I Perez like like signs that. Verstappen. Perez signs Verstappen. I'm going to say... <laughs> I am deluding myself, but yes. I, th- I think Verstappen's going to win. Okay. But sure. I don't think he's going to be on pole. Okay, okay. I, I would... I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. I would love to see a Mercedes on pole because I don't think they have the race pace and I think it's quite difficult to pass around there. So hopefully it would it would create a bit of excitement. But I, yeah. Ferrari were quite strong in Monza. I know it's a very different track in terms of characteristics, but they had a they had decent pace. Hopefully they can get in the mix. I think it's going to be a Verstappen P1. Not going to be on pole, but I think it's going to be a P1 because um, hopefully he's going to make it. You know, if we, we'll, we can do a Felipe Massa 2008 and send him out with a few hose attached. So he has to drive around with that and then hopefully he won't be on pole position. We'll take it off of the race because we're not, you know, we don't want to make it too biased, you know. But yeah, obviously. We'll do that. Um, Verstappen P1, Perez P2, and I want to say Carlos signs P3. Okay, okay. But, but a, scra- a scrappy P2 from Perez, like a qualified eighth, uh, find himself in the mix. So classic work Perez. Out the car, yeah, work out the car super quick in the last half of the race <laughs> and then just cruise back to P2 after struggling for the first 35 laps. Hey, we'll be thanking him because it gives us something to, to talk about. Exactly. Uh, okay, exactly. interesting. Those are our top three then. Um, and that just about brings us to the end of this uh, little preview uh, before the action gets going literally tomorrow with practice. So make sure uh, you're following and subscribe to the WTF1 socials and YouTube channels. And uh, we shall be back with you next week to look back at all the action from Singapore and look ahead to Japan. It comes thick and fast now. So uh, in the meantime, from myself, Harry Benjamin and Callan O'Keefe, uh, enjoy the weekend and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.